Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We've been in a series called Relation Tips, and we've been talking about how to build healthy and robust community through relationships. If you've been tracking with us, you know that a few weeks back, we talked about how every healthy relationship must understand that, that we've got to be willing to look at ourselves, right? In a world that blame shifts, in a world that places the blame on everyone else but us, we're going to be the kind of people that throws the mirror up and goes, it starts with me, right? We learned about the power that there is uh, in our words. We learned that there's power in life and death in our words and what we say to one another, how we say it, come on husbands and wives, right, and and who we say it to, this is crucial, and last week, I don't know if you got something out of last week's message, but last week we talked about providential relationships and what those look like, and today I've got kind of an interesting scripture for you, I'm not going to give away my title quite yet, but um, those of you that are new to Bible reading, you might encounter, maybe on a, a reading plan or whatever, that there are some books in the Bible, and please don't get offended if I say this, if you're a long-standing, walking-with-the-Lord person, there's some books that kind of put you to sleep. <laughs> Anybody? Okay. Right? Come on. Like, there's some books, like, for example, First and Second Kings, where you just read all these names that you can't pronounce about these kings, you know, and what's their relevance? And... And yet, your pastor, as he was preparing for this week's sermon, uh, God led me to 1 Kings 21. Really interesting and not boring story. Now, there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day, Ahab, the king, said to Naboth, Since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace... I'd like to buy it to use it as a veggie garden. Uh, He must be one of those backyard farmers from Portland, Oregon, right? I will give you a better vineyard in exchange, or if you prefer, I will pay you for it. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance that was passed down by my ancestors. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because he didn't get his way. The king went to bed. Look at this. This, this, It's like a little kid throwing a fit. I want you to picture this. The king went to bed with his face to the wall and he refused to eat. (laughs) By the way, ladies, if your man ain't eating, something's wrong. Because his wife immediately goes... What's the matter, his wife Jezebel asked him. What's made you so upset that you're not eating? Well, I asked Naboth to sell me his vineyard or trade it, but he refused. (laughs) Do you hear it? Like, do you feel the the little toddler that's throwing a fit because he didn't get what he wanted, when he wanted, how he wanted it? So then she's like, aren't you the king of Israel? Get up and go eat something. You're hangry. 
<laughs> Don't worry about it. I'll go get you Naboth's vineyard. Okay, pay close attention right here. Goes on to say, there we go. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent to them to the elders and other leaders of the town where Naboth lived. In her letters, she commanded, call the citizens together for a time of fasting and give Naboth a place of honor. And then see two sc scoundrels, I still mess up on this word, across from him, who will accuse him of cursing God and the king. Look at this plot. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders, it ain't boring anymore, right? So the elders and the other town leaders followed the instructions of Je that Jezebel had written in the letters. In Tony's version, like the dummies that they were. They called for a fast and put Naboth in a prominent place before the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat down across from him. Look at this. And they accused Naboth before all the people saying, he cursed God and the king. So he was dragged outside of the town and stoned to death. The town leaders then sent word to Jezebel. Naboth has been stoned to death. And when Jezebel heard the news, she said to Ahab, you know the vineyard Naboth wouldn't sell to you? Hey, now you can have it because I killed him. So Ahab immediately went down to the vineyard of Naboth to claim it. Father, right now, I just ask that your word would speak to us. You would open up every heart, open up every mind, every, open up our understanding. Help us, Lord, to not have anything that would hold us back from growing in you and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, some of you know that I fell in love with running when I was 12 years old. And when I was 12, I started running. I was a skinny, scrawny, cross-country runner. You guys saw the pictures last week, so you know I'm not lying about the skinny and the scrawny part, even though it's not apparent anymore. And, you know, went through middle school, high school, eventually in college. And by the way, in college, we would, the cross-country runners, you know, we're running like 100 miles a week. We'd show up to the cafeteria after practice, and you had the football players having, you know, two trays worth of food, right? And they'd go grab their food and they're big buff football players. And then in came in the 125-pound scrawny cross-country runners with four trays of food. Because we would be putting in a ton of miles. And, and, and here's what happened. Eventually, I, I quit running for a while, but I didn't quit eating that way. <laughs> and so, so about a year or two ago, um, I, I'm like, I've got to get my fitness back. And so I started running again and kind of started taking care of better, better care of myself. And one of the things as I've raced over the years is I've, I've learned that when I'm running, when I'm racing against other people, I've got to be the kind of runner that if I want to win a race, I got to be willing to look at people as kind of a means to an end. You know, as long as they're in front of me, that's one person for me to pick off again. And the more people I pick off, one and one after the other, the better chances I have at winning a race. And well, that's a great strategy for running a road race, but can I tell you today, that's a terrible strategy for life. To use people as a means to an end. To use people in a way that fulfills, hear me, your selfish ambition. And we see that in this story here today. How this king wanted what he wanted, when he wanted it, how he wanted it. And so he was willing to do whatever it takes to get his way. 
What does this have to do with relationships? Today, I want to talk to you about what I've called the relationship killer. And the relationship killer is this. Our selfishness and selfish ambition will always kill relationships. First and foremost, one of the things I do want to let you know when it comes to relationships is this. Is that anything worth fighting for in your life will cost you. Anything that's of high value will cost you, and relationships is one of them. Which is why today I want to teach you how to fight against these relationship killers. And so there's three ways that we see here and that, 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 that relationship was killed. Number one, we see bitterness and resentment. 1 Kings 21. By the way... Before I go any further, I, I want to encourage you today. Today is the kind of sermon that a lot of times we can run the risk, and I'm not putting this on you. I'm just speaking for myself and knowing humanity enough to know. Sometimes we run the risk of this word is for my neighbor, or this one's for my brother, or this one's for my. No, this word's for you today, okay? Okay, take this for you. First Kings 21, 4 through 6, we see that Ahab went home angry and sullen. And he throws a fit. I know I played it out earlier, but can I be a theater kid and, kid and play it out again? I want what I want. Have you ever seen that? Right? You see it in your toddler all the time, right? No, I'm not even going to eat now. Here comes the airplane, little Johnny. Right? And we see here this, this full-grown man allows anger and resentment into his heart because he is not getting what he wants when he wants it. He throws a literal fit. And here's where I want us to be careful. Is we laugh at the toddler analogy. We look at this king and we kind of go, but if we aren't careful... None of us mature out of that toddler tendency. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can allow bitterness, anger, and resentment to bleed into our relationships. And now, when we don't get our way, we... Some of y'all didn't know I was that flexible. Have you ever been surprised by your own bitterness at times? Like, wait, did that just come out of me? Right? It's almost like it sneaks up on you, right? Like, ladies, when, when your husband finally loads the dishes. Am I talking to somebody? Don't elbow him. And he's so proud of it. And you go back and you, well, you could have done it this way. You didn't do it the right way. You didn't do it my way. And you almost go, wait, 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 did that come out of me? Gentlemen, maybe you grew up in a home where your mom was a phenomenal chef and cook. And so you get married and that's what you expect out of your wife. And realize she, she, she burns the fried eggs and can't make bacon. And so she, she puts in effort and she learns how to cook. And the first bite out of that chicken and you go, could you have pulled this out any sooner? Because it's pretty dry. Right? And you go, wait, wait, is that really me? I want to warn you today about how resentment and bitterness can sneak in. 
Because here's what happens is you can only fake not being bitter for so long. Oh, I'm going to say it again. You can only fake not being bitter for so long. Eventually it'll leak. Eventually resentment and bitterness leaks out of you. And I, I want to so lovingly and, and I hope to gently guide you through this sermon today in that God doesn't desire for you to live in the slavery of bitterness and resentment. Amen. And resentment and bitterness kill relationships. And you may be able to fake it, but eventually it leaks. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 makes it clear that it starts beneath the surface. And when not cared for beneath the surface, it eventually bleeds out into all the things. Look after each other so that no one, that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Second part of the verse, watch out. Look at this. Watch out. This is a warning. That no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Watch out that this thing doesn't grow and corrupt many. Here's the progression I see many times of how resentment grows. First thing is something happens that doesn't satisfy your selfish or my selfish ambition. Or maybe it's actually a real offense or a real hurt that's legitimate, but we don't resolve it biblically. So then we stew on it. We go to bed thinking about it. Did you see the looks that he'll give me in church? Did you see how they didn't say hi to me? And psychologists actually will use the word, you, you're, you're actually now ruminating on it, which is just you create this cycle of thought upon thought upon thought upon thought upon thought. Yeah. Yeah. And like a tumbleweed, it starts as a weed, and as it gets blown in the wind, it picks, hear me, picks up other weeds along with it. Yes. So now this thought, now this thought, now this experience, I've created an overarching experience based on this one thing because I've allowed it to consume my thought life. And much like a snowball run, rolls down a hill, eventually that thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it doesn't stop there. Once I stew on it for a little while, I then let it take a hold of my heart. And this, my friend, is where I want to warn you. Because the moment it takes hold of your heart, you and I begin to grow cold, bitter, jaded, hard hearts. Let's pretend like you've met these kinds of people before. You know, the kind of people that like when you first got married tell you, just wait till the honeymoon season's over. And you go, don't put your marriage issues on me. Or when you have your first kid, oh, they're cute now. While they can't talk, wait till they start yelling at you and terrible twos come along the way. And you go, don't put that on me. Oh, they're cute now because they love you and they curl up on your lap and they suck. Wait till they're teenagers. Um, don't put your experience on me. Right? And when we aren't careful about what Proverbs calls us to do in the fourth chapter, 23rd verse, and that is guarding our hearts, we grow cold, bitter, resentful hearts. Yes. Yes. 
Guard your heart above all else. Above all else. Say with me, above all else. I want to make it, I want to modernize this for you today. Above your mental health. That's a good, important, hot topic nowadays. Above your exercise and diet and self-care practices. All great things. Above all else. We are to guard our hearts. Why? Because life flows out of that. And when we don't guard our hearts, now the progression goes from something took place, I stew on it, it takes a hold of my heart, now my heart is cold, bitter, and hard, and now out of this hurt place of hardness, I, whether it's legitimate hurt or not, now it grows up in me, and it troubles me, and the Bible says it will corrupt the rest of me. Bitterness and resentment are relationship killers. This is why Paul instructs the church in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, 31 to 33. Uh, In some versions it says to put away. To literally grab it and put it away. In the New Living Translation that we're reading today is a little bit more plain English. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, say with me, instead. Instead. Instead, we are to be kind to each other. Tender hearted. By the way, can I get honest with you? It's really hard to keep a soft heart in a world full of pain and hurt. But my friend, a good friend of mine once told me we are called to have thick skin and tender hearts. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I don't have much time to break all this out, but I want to tell you this. Notice how Paul puts everything into the perspective of the gospel of Jesus. In the light of the gospel, in the light of what you've been forgiven for, in the light of what Jesus has done for you and through you and in you, we are now empowered to get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, get rid of anger, get rid of, rid of harsh words, get rid of all this stuff that bitterness takes a hold of. Why? Because resentment must be put away. And by the way, can I tell you something about resentment and bitterness? Um, It will always find a friend to listen to. Woo! Come on. I'm reminded of a story. I think I've said this before. I want to say it to you again. Uh, You know, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's head on over to the other side. And then now this storm breaks out. And just because that one disciple found another 11 friends to freak out with him doesn't mean those 11 friends had his back. Do you know the story? They start freaking out. The storm, Jesus, the storm. And Jesus, who's at the head of the boat, calms the storm. Almost as if to go, hey, just because you find 11 other people to freak out with you doesn't mean they've got your best interest at heart. I hope that's for somebody today. Resentment will always find a listening ear and someone to join in on the party. You see Ahab and Jezebel and how quickly Jezebel inclined her ear to his bitterness. If you're looking for somebody to listen to your bitterness and resentment, you'll always find someone. But be weary of because once that's united, it leads us to the second thing. 
If I haven't gotten in your business yet, get ready because it's about to get really good. You ready for this? The second relationship killer is something that isn't always talked about in church anymore. And that is this word, sin. Sadly, it's a topic that we kind of try to shy away from, but we can no longer shy away from it. In fact, the very gospel itself begins with recognizing that we are sinners. That's why it's offensive by itself. Right? Can you imagine like somebody that doesn't understand yet the gospel? Like it starts with you recognizing you're a piece of garbage. Oh, cool, that's good news. Right? But that's that is that is where the gospel begins. And so t- today I want to talk to you about this idea of sin. Why? Because sin is the ultimate separator between God and man. And if we're talking about relationships, our most important relationship, my friend, is with God Himself. And when God cannot relate with sin, then what are we to do? Well, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Come on, I wish somebody was saved in the room right now to testify to what he has done for us. But just because we are forgiven and know what I'm about to say, I got to tell you, there is no condemnation for you. But I do hope that the Spirit of God brings conviction in areas of your life for you. Not guilty, not shameful, not, you know, beating you down, not going, you're condemned. But no, a conviction that inspires change in you. Just because we are forgiven doesn't mean you're a fool sometimes. Let me rephrase it so it doesn't offend you as much. Just because I'm forgiven doesn't mean I don't act a fool sometimes. In sin, we love to hear about how they're forgiven and that's good. But we must not ignore the fact that sin will only lead to destruction of lives and relationships. Yes, we're forgiven. But if we don't take care of the selfishness in you, we will be leading our lives down a road of destruction. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever felt like, sneak, uh, like sin sneaks up on you? Say you're driving down the road, you're listening to your Bethel and Maverick and Hillsong and all these you know, worship songs. <laughs> and all of a sudden somebody cuts you off. <laughs> I don't know where that finger came from, God. <laughs> Am I talking to somebody today? Did I offend somebody? Don't try to act like you don't have that urge. You know, have you ever been surprised by your own sin when, you're, when your kid is screaming at you and you think the best response is to scream back at him? Yeah. Right? Or, or, or that, that friend that stabbed you in the back and all you want to do is now go give them a taste of their medicine. Or that really nasty boss that treats you like junk and you can't wait to humiliate him or her in front of all the coworkers. Sin is something we will always battle on this side of eternity. And James is very clear in the third chapter, 14 to 16, because as I said last week, James doesn't mince his words. He basically gives us Well, quite frankly, a gut punch when it comes to sin. For jealousy and selfishness, there's that word selfishness, are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things, and James doesn't mince his words, are earthly, unspiritual, and here's another word we don't really like to use anymore nowadays, demonic. This is in the Bible, y'all. 
For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, wherever there's this relationship killer, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. You will find sin where there is jealousy and selfish ambition. We see Ahab's resentment and his selfishness and his jealousy, quite frankly, is what led him to go and find a co-conspirator to go and literally kill somebody so that he could get his way. And I know this is an exaggerated story, but my friend, how many of you, us have not bridled our selfishness and submitted it under the authority of God and then allowed sin to cause and wreak havoc in our lives? Sin says, I'm in control. Sin says, it's about me. Sin says, I deserve this. Sin says, whenever I want, however I want, with whomever I want, however and whenever and wherever. Sin says, it's all about me and what I want to fulfill. And by the way, sin will always keep you coming back for more because it will never fulfill you. This is good preaching. Sin is something that promises you and I a semblance of freedom when in reality it's just enslaving us. I'll never forget how many of you grew up in a home where by the time you were 18, you got to experience freedom for the first time. Move out of your house. So, you know, I grew up in kind of a different culture. I was still 21 asking my parents for permission to date Sophia, okay? And uh, that's kind of an exaggeration, but you get the point. I remember when I was 18, I got to move out from my bedroom into the garage. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Big boy pants. Freedom. I went from skinny jeans to slim fit jeans. Come on. And I remember going, I get to go to bed whenever I want. I get to watch whatever I want. I get to eat whatever I want. I get to hang out with whoever. And pretty soon, this freedom only enslaved me. And that's the way sin works. Young people in the room, do not fall into the trap that as soon as you are free to do whatever you want, you now get to experience true freedom. There is beauty in the boundaries that God has for you. Have you ever gone out to the river, taken that hour drive, go to go go watch the river on the side of the road, and it's beautiful, isn't it? And it's beautiful. I mean, this is Idaho, y'all. I'm not from here, but I got here as quick as I could. Come on, right? And there's this beautiful river that runs through the state of Idaho, and it's beautiful. Can you imagine if that river didn't have any banks? Can you imagine if that river didn't have banks to it? What would happen? It would cause destruction. It's beautiful because it has banks. It's beautiful because it has a direction. It's beautiful because it has boundaries. If it didn't have that lane, if it didn't have those boundaries, it would wreak havoc everywhere it went. It would cause destruction. And this is why. We've got to appreciate the beauty of God's boundaries for us. 
Because another word for sin, Jesus says trespasses. Did you ever grow up uh, getting to just like go out and have fun in the neighborhood or go just be outside and as long as you came home for dinner, mama was okay with it? Or, or maybe like me, there was a bell and you just heard that bell and you knew that's when you had to come home. You got to go explore. Come on, good old days. Somebody help me out. The good old days where you had to go have, find your fun, not I'm bored. <laughs> Right? Like, by the way, if you use the word boredom in my house, that was a cuss word. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, you, and my dad, you know, Latino man, oh, you want to be bored, huh? Okay. <laughs> I'll show you bored. Enter me home. Come on, let's go. You were, you were bored a few minutes ago, huh? Okay. <laughs> anyway, that's what I digress. I remember we used to go and explore, but, but if there was a sign that said no trespassing, you didn't go into that person's property. Especially not in Idaho, because you know they got a gun. In the neighborhood I grew up in, they just had a different, shorter kind of gun. There's danger when I cross, when I trespass God's boundaries. So here's what I want you to not do with sin, okay? Are you ready for this? It's good. Slides are going to come up. The first thing I don't want you to do is I don't want you to be blind to sin. I want you to take notes, by the way. We're not going to have enough time to read all of these scriptures, but I want you to take notes. Genesis 4, 7. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Don't be blind to the fact that sin is crouching at your door, my friend. Yes. Don't be blind to it. Sin is crouching at your door. Yes. Paul himself writes about this inner struggle of, I want to do what's right, yet there's this thing that wants to do what's wrong. Sin is crouching at your door. Yes. Number two, do not pretend like you are immune to sin. We read Galatians 6, 1 last week. I want to read it to you again, dear brothers and sisters. If another believer is overcome by sin, you, are who are, you who are godly should gently and humbly help the person back into the right path, which is beautiful, it's great. But look at this. But be careful not to fall into the same, tem same temptation yourself. Yeah. Don't pretend like you're immune to it. I would never. Famous last words. If I had more time, I'd really go into that. So I'm going to just use self-control here. 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. Do not be fooled. And pretend like you're immune to the fact that there is an evil one out there trying to ensnare you. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking about how, oh, we're going to now live in fear and everything is sin, you know. And now, of course, remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But that one that is in you gives you the self-control not to walk into that. Right? Okay, a lot of sermons here to be preached, but let's keep going. The, the third thing I don't want you to do with sin is I don't want you to blame God or others for your sin. You made me yell at you. You made me throw it across the room. <laughs> See what you made me do? 
Are these just in movies? These are just lines in movies. God, you're punishing me. Look at all God's doing to me. You know, and we turn into Evan Almighty. Y'all remember Evan Almighty? Come on, Jim Carrey fans. You know, and, and you're like, God's this mean kid with a stick, right? And he screams at God, smite me, all smighty, almighty smiter, right? James 1, 13 says, remember when you are being tempted, hear me, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Listen to this key verse. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Hey, that's Bible, y'all. Like that ain't Tony speaking. That's straight up Bible. And here's the last thing I don't want you to do with your sin. Oh, this is good stuff. Don't look for its antidote anywhere else other than the person and presence and redemptive, redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Can I get a better amen for Jesus on that one, please? Don't look anywhere else for the answer to your sin than Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians 1, 7 says that in Him, in Him, not anywhere else, in Him, Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood. It was His blood that atoned for our sin. And the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Which leads me to my third and final point. The third relationship killer is lack of repentance. Digging in your heels when you know you're wrong. We've got time for me to read to you the rest of this story. Actually, we don't have time, is what I meant to say. We don't have time for me to read to you the rest of the story, but I want you to write this down. 1 Kings 21, 17 through 29. And I'm going to paraphrase to you how the rest of the story goes. God sends a prophet to this king. And he goes, hey, I saw what you did. So as a result of it, this is your curse. And he gives him consequences. One of which is your wife is basically going to be eaten by dogs. Like they're going to be drinking of her blood. Like it's, it's, by the way, the Bible ain't boring, y'all. Like it's, it's some crazy graphic stuff. But here's what I want to point out. That, that towards the end of this segment, we see that the king ends up actually repenting. It says that he humbly comes before God. He like rips off his clothes. And he's like, oh man, I failed. Like, I, I'm so sorry. And I'm just like, you know, I'm so sorry. And, and, and what's crazy is God goes, because he's humbled himself before me, I'm not going to bring disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring disaster upon his house. Here's what I want to warn you about. Do not wait for the consequences of God to inspire your repentance. Come on. Yes. That's so good. Wow. 
I don't, I, I want to just reiterate, I want to pause right now because we, we've got a dangerous moment that we're about to approach where you can walk out of here going, man, I feel really guilty. I feel really condemned. Like Tony's talking about this sin thing and like, oh man, I'm too late to repent now. Like, you know, here's the beautiful thing about this moment in history right now and the fact that we're on this side of eternity. You're still in time. You still have a chance, even now, to call unto him and truly repent. And you will be met with his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. But my friend, where I want to challenge you, those of you that have put your trust in Jesus, is do not wait for consequences to hit you before you have to repent. Don't dig in your heels. We are called to turn from sin. It's the literal meaning of repentance. I turn 180 degrees from sin. Lack of repentance says, I choose my own selfish way of doing things above all things. Lack of repentance says, uh, I'm excused in what I did. Lack of repentance says, well, I, I'll own kind of what I want to own, but not everything. Are you hearing me on this? Yes. And lack of repentance will kill your relationships. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and let me break it down really quickly and really simply and plainly for you on your day to day. Young people, not repenting to your parents and to the Lord creates separation between you and your parents and the Lord. And thank God you've got parents that love you enough to go, you're going to come to the house of God and we're going to grow together and we're going to be met with His grace together and they're going to be the kind of parents that are going to go, hey, when you fall, I'll pick you up. When you mess up, I will forgive you. Man, you should have seen what I did. Yet look at what God has done. Come on, am I preaching to anybody today? On, on, a, on, a, on a marriage level, on a marriage level, hear me on this. Husbands, wives, be quick to repent. It'll save you hours of fighting. Amen. No, I'm, 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 being, I'm being brutally honest with you at this point, okay? This is something Sophia and I have adamantly gone after in the last six months of our lives. Is Let's be quick to repent. Let's be quick to repent because there's no need to drag this out. And it's not like we're trying to just quickly, okay, I'm sorry, tuck it under the rug, right? Like how we say it matters, what we say matters. We talked about this. But to be able to just go, man, I, I'm, I'm so, I messed up. Man, I, I allowed my weariness, I allowed my anger, uh, whatever it is. And, and it's not, you made me angry. He, you hear the difference? It's not, you set me off. No, no, I, I allowed my weariness, my hangriness, I allowed my flesh to get in the way. And so I raised my voice at you and, and I, I made you feel scared. And I'm so sorry, babe. Will you please forgive me? Right, and then now we just saved ourselves 24 hours of the awkward wake up. Anybody? Come on, married couples, help me out. You know the awkward wake up. Who's going to say hi first? In my house, it's who pours the coffee. Okay, in my house, this is how I know Sophia's still mad. Is if the coffee isn't waiting for me. Make your own dang coffee. You know what I mean? And I just take it black. I just need it. Like, I just pour it. She knows I'm really sorry when the coffee's like in bed 
with her cream and the sugar, you know. And if it's Friday, I go to Trader Joe's, I get some fresh flower Fridays. Come on, somebody. And I'm not saying I'm perfect in this, but what I am saying is I have found success when I am quicker to repent as opposed to digging in my heels. Don't let your inability to repent and to restitute to destroy your relationships. Repentance says I don't make excuses. Repentance says I own my part and I own it completely. My pastor used to tell me I hug my cactus. It hurts. You ever try to hug a cactus? But it's yours, so hug it. Here's the beauty of our God, and I'm landing the plane. You got, did you get something out of this today? Okay, I'm landing the plane. Here's the beauty of our God is that when we repent, he is faithful to forgive us. 1 John 1.9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And not only that, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So here's how I want to end today. I want to give you a moment. We're not singing a song. I want to give you, give us moments, a few moments, a few minutes to sit with God because the reality is all of us on some level have got to take care of bitterness, resentment, sin, and we get the chance right now to approach a good, merciful God to repent before him. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to just have some time with the Lord and go, God, where have I held resentment? Where is there bitterness in my heart? Here's what I've also found. I'm not going to tell you to ask the Lord to reveal your sin to you because you already know that sin. Okay. You don't even need him to reveal it. So you search your heart and go, man. Here's, here's, my, here's where I've messed up, God. And here's where I'm going to ask for forgiveness. And I'm going to believe that the Spirit of God is going to speak to all of you individually wherever you're at. And after we do that, at any, at any time during the next few minutes, there's communion tables here up front and a, one more in the back now that we've placed. And there's four different ways that you can respond to, to really this message and, and to everything. Is You can respond by going to the prayer corner where there's people there ready to pray with you and for you. And have communion, giving, giving thanks to the Lord, giving your tithe and offering to Him, Give, giving Him your heart, giving to Him what you've got and go, God, this is my sacrifice to you. And you can worship, sing a song to Him. You can let the piano play and let that inspire you. So would you close your eyes? I'm going to pray for you. And then I'll come up after a few minutes of us doing this together and close us out. Father, I pray now you would First of all, still every mind, calm every narrative that's happening right now in our minds and help us now to hear your voice. Help us to be honest with you, Lord, about the things that we've allowed bitterness and resentment to grow. Help us uproot that. Help us, God, have the courage to not just confess our sins, but sometimes it takes courage to accept your forgiveness. And let that forgiveness wash over us. Let today truly be a new day for us all. Where we look back even, I, this is what I'm believing for, Lord, is that we're going to look back on today and go, that moment with God 
began to change so many things. And then help us, God, to respond to you appropriately. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com, or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.